0: I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Joining me by phone today is a former Director of the Division of the Arts and now the President of Moore College of Art and Design, Cecilia Fitzgibbon. Welcome, Cecilia. Thank you. I'm so glad that you can join us today. As you know, we are celebrating, that is the Division of the Arts is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year having been founded in 19 or created in 1989 and you were there at the beginning. So yeah. what I'd love to do is take our listeners back to 1989 and and hear about how the division was created. What was the impetus for it being becoming a division because prior to that uh, the state's support for the arts was carried out through the Delaware State Arts Council uh for 20 years up until 1989. So let's let's go to 1989 and Tell us about what was going on then to create a division of the arts.
1: Well, we were within the governmental structure. We were the, uh, operating within the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs that was located in Dover. And um, the primary emphasis, because of the division directors in the past prior to 89, were predominantly historical in nature. Um, the dynamism and currency of the arts were taking in my opinion, a backseat to the very deep and important history of the state of Delaware. So we wanted to bring the arts forward. It was a very strong economic time, which, of course, sometimes are good, other times are not. <laughs> um, and um, uh, we had achieved some recognition within the state government through the a strong support of the then Secretary of State and also of the governor, Mike Castle. And so we had all of the stars aligned, and we maintained the role of the State Arts Council, but we placed um, the creation of the Division of the Arts um, relative to the state power structure. We were able to elevate the importance of the arts, and that was the primary reason for creating the division. I was at the State Arts Council for five years before we did that and had an opportunity to develop some very close associations with the state legislature, um, which we were able then to... to, capitalize on as we tried to make this change within the structure of government. There was a broad base of support from the Joint Finance Committee. So we were able to uh, motivate and activate all of those. Keep in mind that state arts councils nationally have, had only been formed as a stimulus from the creation of the National Endowment for the Arts around 1976. So we're really not talking that long into the notion of state-funded arts, and uh, this was a chance for us to capitalize really on a national regard for the creation of public funding for the arts.
0: Now, you mentioned the National Endowment for the Arts, and and for our listeners— Uh, In order for a state to receive federal funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, there must be an identified state agency or entity, a public entity, uh, that serves as that state partner. And prior to 1989, the Delaware State Arts Council was that partner, I believe. Is that correct?
1: Um, it's correct. However, the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs okay. was the formal governmental conduit.
0: Okay, so, um, so funding that came in from the National Endowment for the Arts prior to 1989 came to Historical and Cultural Affairs. Correct. Right. Correct. And after 1989, the Division of the Arts became that official partner.
1: That's Correct. That's correct. And we always regarded the State Arts Council, the volunteer members that were gubernatorily appointed, and I'm sure that that's the case today. Mm -hmm. We always regarded them as our partners. They really function as a representative of the public and the public's interests relative to arts and culture and more largely rich cultural development within a state. So they become a very important Partner, And uh, what we were able to do was kind of create an equality and a presence within government that equaled the very strong involvement of these wonderful volunteers.
0: Right, and that structure exists today. Uh, The enabling legislation that was created in 1989 sort of redefined the Delaware State Arts Council as the governor's advisory body to the Division of the Arts, which falls under the Department of State, as does the still existing uh, Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs.
1: So some things are worth keeping.
0: <laughs> now, Cecilia, w- were there, uh, uh, w- what was your role in that, uh, having been with the State Arts Council and then becoming the first director? And who were some of the prime movers and shakers and uh, sort of uh, formulators of the division?
1: Well, we had, um, the agreement of the Historical and Cultural Affairs Division that the arts needed to be carved off. So, um, Dr. John Kern was the director of the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs at the time and was very supportive of that. We were, we were separated by geography, Dover and Wilmington, as well as culturally, um, with a small C in terms of how we operated. So there was intrinsic governmental support, and of course the Secretary of State at the time, Mike Carkins, was extremely um, aware of the political impact that the arts could have. Um, We had some very strong council members at the time who saw the uh, importance of elevating our, our stature within government. And then finally, the business community, who had invested a lot in arts and culture and were very strong. Perhaps even stronger than today, sadly, um, although I am not aware, certainly very strong partners in terms of their understanding that an investment in arts and culture was an investment in their own vested self-interest. And um, so they were uh, talking with uh, the powers that be, speaking directly to the governor. And um, I didn't go by myself, because that wouldn't have been a good idea, (laughs) but rather mobilize these people to express the need for an important uh, position for arts and culture within the governmental structure. And um, it, it, as I quipped the, earlier, some things are worth keeping. It's very important that arts and culture remain foremost in the minds of folks within the government relative to economic development, co- Um, community development, public safety, education, so the arts have a much broader role to play um, uh, in um, how they infiltrate the quality of life of Delaware citizens, and this was one way of expressing that.
0: Now. Now, could you uh, go into a little bit about uh, what your role was with the uh, prior to 1989 uh, under the umbrella of the Delaware State Arts Council, and then how that changed as you became the director of this new division?
1: Well, we um, we had access to the Secretary of State. And prior to that, there was a division director who, just by virtue of how. The structure is the reporting structure or the organizational chart looks um, we were we were able to have access, and um, that was helpful in terms of our own appropriation because when we have access to the secretary of state 's office, you are able to start to think about how you testify in front of the state legislature, how you articulate the value of the state funding relative to matching the federal government subsidy, and what you're doing in addition to that to to make meaningful contributions to arts and culture. Because we know that, as I said earlier, there is really a very strong economic development function that artists as makers play as well as institutions as the the foundation for sometimes activity. I think of um, many of the cultural organizations that really became the basis for an economic and business development strategy in Rehoboth and also in the city of Wilmington, and uh, to deny that is um, is kind of blind, so uh, we, we at the time had the advantage of a strong economy that uh, was able to um, uh, sustain governmentally the expansion into a division. Um, the appropriation rate um, was was raised in addition, the ability to pay people living wage were raised, uh, so uh, all of those things became very important as we attempted to position the arts as as this important part of the state of Delaware. And, uh, Paul, as I recall, when I took the job in 84, uh, Delaware was very high um, in terms of uh, the amount of um, – capita that we had and how little money they received. And we were able to raise the state appropriation with the creation of Arco and some of the other initiatives from I think we were in the twenties in per capita funding for the arts to number three in the country in per capita funding for arts and culture. Mm-hmm. A little old Delaware. Yeah. And so um, now that's a function of capita in Delaware, but it's also a function of the kind of commitment that the state legislature had
0: at the time. Right. You uh, mentioned ARTCO. I want to uh, pursue that, but let me first remind our listeners that you are tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. Our guest joining us by phone today is the president of Moore College of Art and Design, Cecilia Fitzgibbon, and former and first director of the Delaware Division of the Arts. Cecilia, you mentioned ArtCo. One of the... Um, The major accomplishments of the division in its early years, the Arts Stabilization Fund managed by the Delaware Community Foundation. uh, And it also is representative of a great collaboration between the public and corporate sector. Could you speak about that fund, its creation, what was its impetus, and what was its purpose?
1: Well, um, the word stabilization was in the title because at the time, um, there were several major cultural institutions who were um, really working on a functional deficit, uh, an accumulated deficit, that it was difficult for them to retire given um, their ordinary activities. So... um, uh, there, there was a real story, which is that we placed everyone, the leaders and their board chairs, in a room. And we said, okay, what would it take you to thrive in in the next 20 years? And how? what would you address relative to your deficit, to your cash reserves, and to the development of an endowment? Now, some of those folks had endowments. Very few of them had operating the cash reserves. And for those of, of your listeners who, who may be unclear about what that is, essentially, especially with performing arts organizations, you get your ticket sales at certain times of the year. And then the rest of the times of the year, you're trying to spread those in, that income out to make sure that you can cover the, the highs and lows of your economic circumstance. So we wanted to help them create these cash reserves that they could draw upon, and like any good bank account, you pay it back. So this would be a sustained opportunity for them to even out the bumps and, frankly, not to incur debt that would, um, the interest of which would hurt them, because interest rates were so much higher than, than they are now. So we asked these group this group to define what would sustain them over this period of time and um there was concern that the that the division would be raising money that would compete with their own um, philanthropic desires and interests. But we finally adopted an abundance mentality that we were not going to be competing with them, that in fact there was other money to be able to generate. And we were able to get, because this dealt with capital, we were able to uh, achieve bond funding that very few of them would have had access to. So the state do you know what was, Anne? Uh... It was touch-and-go for a while there. Um, uh, We went uh, to the um, state legislature, and because of the remarkable advocacy of a gentleman named Phil Carosi, who was the chair of the Joint Finance Committee at the time and who played trumpet in fourth grade, (laughs) that was his arts experience. And because of him, he was able to um, take his own... Uh, political capital and talk uh, the uh, the leg- legislature through the joint finance committee and through the bond process into um, investing five million dollars that was immediately matched. By the Longwood Foundation, and that's how we started the um, the major part of this. It ended up being twenty one point eight million dollars. The county, as far as I understand, I sadly went to be the New England Foundation director, um, but um, the uh, we we had many investors because they saw. The importance of arts and culture in the state, and they were willing to make this long-term investment. And this could only be done um, by a a third party like the division, um, because individual institutions were too busy putting on their artwork and also raising money for their annual operations. So we had a chance to go up to 60,000 feet, think about the structure of the industry, address the issue around cultural development for the state, and then determine that that stabilizing this framework would have ancillary benefits to all of the cultural institutions in the state, which of course was and still is our mandate. Um, So... That's how it came about, and I don't think it's appropriate to tell you the gory details.
0: <laughs> and I have I have a vivid recollection early in my years with the Division of the Arts, uh, State Arts Council Member Tom Graves announcing somewhere in 97 or 98 that the final pledged contributions to the Art Co fund had been received. So they had reached that goal uh, back, I think it was somewhere in 98, I believe. Very exciting, yeah, very, very it really exciting. Was. And there, was, there was a celebration at the time. Yeah.
1: I would be remiss if I did not recognize and acknowledge the remarkable work that my colleague, who was chair of the State Arts Council at the time, Stuart Young, who has since passed away, mm-hmm. he was uh, went tirelessly and without recognition for a very long time. And it was he who supported... Um, me in this effort. And then um, I, uh, we did the, we laid the groundwork, but I will also recognize Peggy Amsterdam, who was appointed director of the division at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, here, go raise the rest of the money. So um, to her credit, she did. And um, a remarkable amount of civic effort on the part of many, many people. There is a case where it really does take a village.
0: Yeah. Now, in, in the few minutes we have left, uh, um, do you, would you care to reminisce about any of the accomplishments, achievements you're, you're proud of uh, in those early years of the division?
1: My goodness, that's memory lane. Um, <laughs> but thank you for the opportunity. Well, we established a very strong relationship with the National Endowment um, in that we started the first artist residency. Well, We had, um, of course, all these programs have gone by the wayside because the endowment has abandoned them. But we had this fabulous dance-on tour program where we brought this world-class Um, institutions. Uh, We started, I think, to um, help people think about the growing demands of administration in the arts and and the requirement for skills that perhaps had been absent our field. So I will speak for myself, I have a master's in arts administration, uh, and very few people did at that time, mostly because those programs hadn't started until 1980. So we're really talking about the beginning of the field in many ways. Some of the cultural organizations have been around for a very long time, but we, we worked with them to really ramp up the capacity, and that I'm very, very proud of. Um, I, I, it's, um, it's easier when the economy is good. Um, I know that my successors have had a more difficult time, but I think fundamentally we were able to um, establish the importance of the role of arts and culture at that moment. Uh, to the state of Delaware, and I'm only hopeful that things will continue relative to cultural development, which I see as being very, very important for our field at large nationally and internationally.
0: Now, your career has taken you in, in some really fascinating directions. Uh, talk, we've got about a minute left. Where Where did you go on to from the division?
1: I was the director of the New England Foundation for the Arts. Then I came back to Delaware and ran First Night for a while because I was interested in economic development and the arts. Then, then for 17 years, I ran the Graduate Arts Administration program at Drexel. I thought I'd retire there, and then they called me to come be the president of Moore College of Art and Design, and I love it. What could be better? The Parkway here in Philadelphia, artists, women it just doesn't get any better than this I feel as if this has given me the opportunity to influence the future and for that I am very grateful.
0: And I understand the arts are important to uh, your family as well. I was looking online at uh, uh, your bio at, uh, with Moore College of Art and Design which for our listeners is uh, I think moore.edu is that correct? Yes it is uh, and, Your um, children are involved in the arts as well
1: Yes, my my um, oldest son is a finance guy, but he's a very practiced and accomplished photographer, and was a musician until he got his braces. Um, my my younger son is doing his master's at Pratt right now in industrial design. Of course, my husband is a painter, um, a practicing painter. So uh, we live, sleep, and breathe the arts in this family. Um, and when my kids were little, they promised me they would never be dragged. (laughs) to another museum again, and of course, look where they ended up.
0: (laughs) And with that, it's time for us to sign off. Cecilia Fitzgibbon, the president of Moore College of Art and Design and first director of the Delaware Division of the Arts, thank you so much for joining us
1: Thank you, Paul. Lovely to speak with you.